welcome to the Adelaide Living Podcast, where we share the stories of the city. Adelaide is a city shaped by stories. Those of the traditional owners of the land and of our increasingly diverse community. Each story is unique, but what links them is the place of Adelaide, a city designed for life. So join us as we uncover inspiring stories of the people of Adelaide. Who are you without historical connection to land? Dakani Ayubi was an infant when her family was forced to flee Afghanistan as refugees. Disconnected from roots and memories, they found safety and a future in Adelaide. Today, Dakani shares some of her family's journey, including building a network of traditional Afghani restaurants across the city, glorious food destinations that provide a cultural bridge to their past and invite people to question assumptions about race, about identity and about place. I suppose the story of being a, well, first a refugee. So my family left Afghanistan during the height of the Cold War in the mid-80s. And it was obviously a time of um, great loss and sadness for the country and one that um, Afghanistan never truly recovered from um, because it's just been kind of ongoing war and conflict there. So for us leaving Afghanistan uh, when I was around two, first we um, crossed the border into Pakistan where we lived in uh, UN refugee camps for a couple of years. And basically that was, I have no lived memory of that, but it shaped the earliest events of my life. And when I ask my mother about it now, um, because I was quite expecting her to um, describe the camps as quite, you know, a place where she didn't want to be, um, but actually she described it as somewhere, as as. A beacon of safety. And um, yeah, I wrote in one of my pieces that she said that um, she smelt the um, scent of heaven there. And that kind of made me want to explore that story further <laughs> as well. Um, so obviously that kind of initial leaving Afghanistan and coming through Pakistan into Australia was about finding safety and peace first and foremost, uh, which is the story of most displaced people, um, migrants and refugees in the world today. And so for me as a young child, um, that initial uh, story of the move um, shaped the rest of my life because on the one hand, it was a disconnection from roots and ancestral lands and memories and complete connections. disconnection. Ab- abrupt and complete. Abrupt and complete. And for the first time in the trajectory of my family's history, that's what had happened. Um, and with that came huge cultural loss and huge challenges to identity. And so then when uh, we came to live in Australia, as I grew up, it was about being extremely self-aware because my identity wasn't taken for granted. I wasn't necessarily of this world. Um, I wasn't necessarily a part of or had, or I didn't necessarily have the same cultural background as my um, peers or people that I went to school with. But then at the same time, I didn't have the same uh, cultural connection that my parents might have had to Afghanistan because I didn't remember any of it. So the trajectory of my life was shaped by that 
initial move, that story of migration. And it challenged me um, to understand who I was deeply, um, to try to understand questions of identity at a deeper level. Um, who are you without connection to land? Who are you without the historical memory kind of being a part of your everyday life? And in many ways, I'm very grateful for that trajectory because it encouraged me to question deeply and to take things for granted. That That is a fabulous reflection mm-hmm. on what, what that disruption mm-hmm. has allowed you to become. Mm-hmm. But growing up with all of that, how did you manage to traverse mm-hmm. that? How, how did, because you, you moved first to, to Melbourne. Yes, that's right. When you were still very little and then your family spent a couple of years there and then came to, to Adelaide. Was this a case of trying to refine the process and make the, make the best of this? Yeah, I, I absolutely, because I, I think that's human nature. Once you have the basic tenets to be able to live in safety and with peace, and, and you have the capacity and, you know, we were lucky enough to kind of, um, I was kind of very into um, learning and I loved being at school and that kind of thing. So so once you kind of have those um, the access to safety and uh, right to kind of education and that kind of thing, I feel the mindset of that initial loss, something that you remember forever and that shapes you in conscious and subconscious ways, helps you kind of transform challenges into opportunities. So, for example, the there were some of the biggest challenges, I suppose, were intergenerational. For a young child growing up, you know, there's already, no matter even if you don't have that story of disconnection and migration, there are intergenerational challenges, right, between parents and children. It's intergenerational. Exactly. It goes with the <laughs> But then add to that, you know, um, the different cultural kind of norms that we as children had grown up with. Of course. As opposed to what might have been um, the norm for my parents growing up and, and their sense of comfort and and expression of culture. And so really what it does is... It makes you question and um, be quite sure of, or try to be sure anyway, it's, a, it's, a, it's always a challenge, but to try and understand why you do what you do, why you are who you are, and to bring your parents along on that. And so just like my parents um, have kind of imparted on us the importance of our culture, our tradition, our ancestry, which comes through in um, what we choose to do every day with our family restaurants, you know, we kind of had to impart with them uh, things that we could let go of that didn't serve us anymore and that maybe necessarily have never served anybody. And and I think that's true of both cultures. You know, you kind of get this. So as uh, somebody who was born in Afghanistan but living in Australia, I feel like intimately connected to both worlds and um, I can choose which parts of either of my culture to take on because they serve me and they serve me in the story of being human and in human expression and which parts to let go of. And both kind of cultural norms definitely have parts that can be let go of. You were able to connect with the with your former culture, your current culture, and blend them into something that made it stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that says a lot for you as an individual. Mm-hmm. It says a lot for you as a family. Mm. So where, where is the sense of belonging? I mean, I know one question that uh, is sometimes asked is, where do you find home? What, yeah. where, is, where is home? What is home? 
Yeah, it's a really fascinating question. And it's actually not something that I can answer too easily, I don't think. And um, and I love that I can't answer that question easily because home for me is many things. In some ways, I feel um, quite connected to my home in Adelaide and to the life that's been built here. But in other ways, I'll forever feel like a traveller. And I think that's okay, you know, because... Because there is a part of my, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years of my history and my ancestry that I'll never fully know um, because of the story of ongoing conflict and war and um, and that initial disconnection, that move um, to Australia. But at the same time, I think we're actually all challenging this idea of home because of the way kind of the world is unfolding. <laughs> you know, there's there are layers to what home means today and it's not just a physical place. And I feel like I've learned that through my studies, a fellowship I've been doing, you know, interacting with communities in different ways. I've learned to understand that for me, um, home is more about a feeling. It's a feeling I get when I'm with people that I love. It's a feeling I have when I am steeped in learning. Um, it's really um, a feeling or the ability to express being human um, in ways that are unencumbered. And I think if you don't have that, you could be anywhere and it wouldn't necessarily feel like home. Um, So more than a physicality, and I suppose this comes from the trajectory of disconnection and migration, for me, home is something that is much deeper and it has different layers to it. And you could feel more of that connection or less and you could be in the same place <laughs> you know and it just depends on your on your spiritual essence of how you're feeling and whether you are able to live to your full potential or not living life to full potential is a challenge i think for everybody mm-hmm. yeah it sounds like you have been grasping your full potential <laughs> all the way through <laughs> tell us i wasn't aware of your fellowship i think this is another thing that kind of has formed part of my identity because of that story of migration. And that is that, you know, you do seek for ways to um, express your potential because, you know, if I think about what life might be like without the freedom to think and without the freedom to kind of explore who I am as a female, as, you know, someone growing up in a Muslim culture and, and from Afghanistan, and if I look at, I suppose, the way the trajectory of the country has unfolded there, I wouldn't necessarily have the capacity to um, learn and to explore and express myself as a female, Mm. you know, which um, says something for decades of war and what it does to society and and what it takes away. So for me, potential is something that I care about deeply and um, I search for a lot and and I search for ways to express it. And, you know, lately in my life that has been uh, through, you know, working with my family in our family restaurants and that's a way to stay like really close to my own heartlands and to be able to express my story which is, I feel, really important for me. Lately, the last two years, I've been um, very fortunate to be part of a fellowship run by the Atlantic Institute, which is a philanthropic organisation based in New York. And the Institute is housed at Oxford, at Rhodes House in the UK. Um, So I've had this really wonderful and transformative experience, actually, of um, being in spaces and places with people who are thinking really deeply about the challenges that um, are facing us all globally um, and how those challenges are 
increasingly interconnected and how our fates as humans, as people, are so intertwined. And it really aligns deeply with the, the kind of the narrative around displacement at the moment. It something I'm kind of, a lot of my work focuses on um, because uh, we kind of have these global narratives of displacement of migrants and refugees that is really quite xenophobic and based on fear. Um, and there are so many layers to why that narrative is unfolding the way it is today. But the reality is that the mass displacement of people is an issue of our times. Um, and the history of the world um, has contributed to that the last few years. And so I feel like it's a challenge for the whole world to face collectively, as are so many challenges today, like um, global warming, climate change, that kind of thing. And yet we're kind of stuck in these silos, this isolationism, this kind of uh, fingers of blame, that kind of thing. So what I'm trying to do is work on ways that we can change those narratives and start to broaden the context of how we view um, history, how we view our challenges, where we place ourselves within the challenges. And really, I think it starts with totally shifting the narratives that we kind of subscribe to without questioning too much. Mm. In your blog, you reflect as a first-generation Muslim migrant to Australia on the mm -hmm. dangers of the abyss mm -hmm. of othering mm -hmm. or marginalising others by seeing them as somehow different from themselves. Mm -hmm. How do you see, you were talking globally, mm -hmm. I'm pulling you back deliberately to Adelaide. Sure. How do you see the work that you and your family are doing are contributing to Adelaide having a more inclusive yeah. future? I think that's a really nice question and um, I think it encapsulates exactly what I feel we're trying to do. And so narratives for me I've realised are kind of everything. <laughs> I think it really fuels why I am moved to do the things that I do. The restaurants for us in Adelaide, um, yes, absolutely, a huge part of it is the stories um, and the narratives and Absolutely, I believe you you contribute to your local community, the people around you. Um, for us, sharing our food, um, so the recipes that we have at the restaurant are um, really old recipes that have been passed down to my mother through her um, her grandmother, her grandmother before, and you know, so they've been passed down to my mother. And um, you know, it's for us, it's an act of cultural preservation to actually remember those recipes and to share them with people in our in our home in Adelaide and it's absolutely about narratives because food to me is not just food to my family it's a non-verbal narrative it's a way it's a bridge it's a conduit between worlds it's a way to kind of ask people invite them in in a really beautiful and delicious <laughs> way to explore assumptions or uh, that they have about Afghanistan and the East generally um, and to kind of because of the food is so beautiful and artistic and it kind of captures this really old history I think it does kind of create new associations, a new narrative for people with a country like Afghanistan. And that's a really important part of why we do what we do. But, you know, we can only do that because 
we're expressing something that is a legitimate part of our story um, and it takes on new meaning when you're a migrant and you're far from home. Food takes on new meaning and the, the act of sharing that and inviting people into the parts of Afghan culture that are so ancient and so beautiful and actually steeped in interculturalism because Afghanistan was at the centre of the Silk Road and it was, you know, it was a trade route so spices went from east to west and north to south and back again but it was also an, a, a place where ideas and philosophies um, were exchanged and where it shaped um, human civilization today. You know, just through the act of sharing our food and sharing it in a way that's enshrined in the culture, which in a huge part of Afghan culture is that hospitality, like inviting people in with, you know, however they are, you know, whether it's with sadness or with joy that they're sitting there sharing meals with their families, you know, um, that's a, and, and inviting people to bring their whole self into that space, which is, you know, any of our restaurants um, and to feel as though they're truly welcome there. That is a huge part of of our food and, and the ethos around Afghan food. And yeah, I feel quite, you know, it's not lost on myself or my family that we're kind of generating this new, I suppose, conversation around Afghanistan and the fact that people just love the food. And and then from that, you know, from that initial act of honouring that part of our culture, we've been able to do things like this, which is talk to you, <laughs> you know, and, and to your listeners about why we can have different perspectives and why, you know, what we've seen for like the last 10, 15 years or more isn't necessarily the full story. It's, you know, we're missing hundreds, if not thousands of years of kind of stories. Um, and we're also missing ways that are more deeply human. Um, and so I think that's why that initial act of connection and sharing food and, and kind of feeling welcome in a space um, and, and having your ideas challenged is, is a really, it's not a confrontational thing. I think people are looking for ways to kind of engage more deeply and to kind of find some answers to, to some of the questions that are kind of a part of, of life today. Do you find you came back to Adelaide for a reason. Why, why Adelaide? You'd, you'd mm. moved to Canberra. Yeah. You'd, start, you'd studied in Adelaide. I think you'd been to university in Adelaide. Is that right? Yes, yes. So, um, I, yeah, I, I went to uni here. I, I, stu- I studied high school, uni, everything here. I uh, moved to Canberra for a job. I was a graduate at the um, ACMA, which is the Communications and Media Authority. So I was working in the um, for the federal government um, in communications and media policy. And um, from Canberra, I moved to Melbourne with the same job. And it was really challenging and really wonderful. Um, but it had been about seven or eight years. And I just realised I was missing a piece of the puzzle. And that was my own story. And a story I could tell with legitimacy, which was the story of my heart. So for me and my family, where at that point we'd already had Parwan, it was up and running, it was small. Um, My parents were kind of um, there every day and and we all kind of helped to make that happen. Like it happened as a family, which was really lovely. And um, I decided that I needed to come back and if for nothing else for myself, because I needed to tell my own story and explore my own story with legitimacy. And that was about being close to who, what made me, me. When it started, it was small. Yes. <laughs> Did you have any idea at that point mm. of how successful it was going to be? We laugh about this because I still don't think we have any idea. <laughs> 
for how successful it is because for us, it's just something we do. We do it every day and we do it with our whole heart. And my mum, obviously, you know, for her, it's she loves it. She loves the cooking. It's something she's always been wonderful at and she loves to do. And um, she understands the significance of doing that here and sharing that with people. And for my dad, the same. Like he loves kind of speaking to people and, and being there in front of house and and um, kind of sharing the food and his story. And, and for the rest of us as well, you know, it's just what we do. We um, kind of love working with each other and, and contributing to something that um, – feels special and feels like it's something we built together and so yeah I mean every now and again so for example with the book that's coming up yes we want to get to the book okay okay sure yeah Yeah, every now and again I kind of get these things where I step back and I go oh okay yeah we've come a really long way you know and um, it kind of feels like a, a point of measure but other than that you're just steeped in it every day and you're trying to do your best so you started in Torrensville yes and that that restaurant's called Parwana. Which means? Butterfly. Yeah. And from Torrensville, you've you've grown. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us where you've grown because sure. I believe you're even right down south at Flinders yeah, Union. Yeah, So to just give us a map of yeah, where sure. you've grown. So from Torrensville, we um, came. And you're still there? Yep, we're still mm. in Torrensville, yep. So we do dinner there and then um, my sisters and I decided we'd We'd made a trip to Afghanistan actually in 2012 and we saw the way food was shared there and it was really cool. Like it was kind of like the street food like really captured us, right, because it was shared in like these little pockets, these little spots and there were fluoro lights and incandescent lights and, you know, there was just like piles of bread or, you know, piles of meat, whatever it was being um, sold or piles of sweets, you know. This wonderful sense of generosity yeah, and flavour and colour. Yes, and ambience and everything. Thing. And so we were like, you know, that's a part of our food story as well. That's part of the Afghan food story. And it spoke to us as kind of we'd grown up in Australia and we were like, well, we, you know, for us, it was a, a way to share our experience that was like a little bit kind of edgier and, and faster. So it was in, so, so now we're in town. We have a little lunch spot in Ebenezer Place. And um, yeah, for us, you know, the tiles, the artwork, the lights, everything was uh, very kind of measured and ex- expression of what we absorbed while we were in Afghanistan. And we loved it. We loved seeing because how the Because you food go into that, now. into that little shop and it is an explosion of colour and <laughs> yeah. light and brightness. It's wonderful. Thank you. And then from there, we, we've got a spot uh, um, in Bedford Park at Flinders Uni where we do the same sort of thing, um, just lunch for all the students there. And my sister Fatima also has a sweet stall at uh, Plant 4 in Bowdoin. She's a terrific um, pastry chef and she makes delicious cakes and sweets. So <laughs> we kind of spread out a bit. And then you're taking the spreading out to another dimension. You're also compiling a recipe book. Absolutely. The recipe book is uh, really important for me and my family. And it's important because it's an act of preservation of Afghan culture. Uh, These are like quite old recipes and a lot of that kind of knowledge has been lost. Um, So just in terms of for for the history of the country, which might otherwise be forgotten, it's a really kind of um, significant act for us to put it together in a book that um, has a lot of love and care and um, work has been put into it from the photography to the writing to the recipes. So it's really exciting that it will all be coming together. And so when the publisher asked us if we would write a book of Afghan recipes, um, the timing finally felt right. Um, I think I was in the 
right spot to want to kind of take that on and to feel like I had the story in me to put together. I said, yes, you know, sure, we'd love to, but we'd like for it to be half narrative. And so half of it is narrative and half of it is recipe. Um, and the reason that I really would wanted half of it to be narrative is because I don't think you can understand um, Afghan food if you're just looking at it through the recipes or without the context of um, the beautiful and epic history of the country uh, and also the story of how we as a family um, made our way to Australia and kind of it charts um, genealogically through my mother because they're her recipes, um, her story of how kind of this this food became came to be significant in her life. So how that happened and even before that it goes into the history of the interculturalism of the Silk Road and what that means for the flavours of Afghan food and what comes through in the recipes and it kind of charts our way to Australia and in my way, in the way that I I can through my lens of how I've experienced the world and how my life has unfolded. I've tried to kind of assess the significance of food based on what happens to you as a migrant. Like it kind of becomes um, this nostalgic connection and a nostalgic memory, but at the same time, it's an act of sharing and contributing and giving in your new um, in your new home wherever you've landed. And so it kind of explores the actual history of Afghanistan and. It's food, uh, as well as what f- the significance of food uh, with respect to place. One question mm. I haven't asked you is when your family arrived, mm-hmm. Melbourne first, a yes. couple of years, then Adelaide. Yes. Was there any thought of moving on from Adelaide? What What was it about Adelaide sure. that made you made your family? And I understand. You yep. too would yes, have just yes. gone along with the decision. <laughs> but what, what was it that made your family decide and get a sense of mm. this is going to be our place to put down sure. new roots? Sure. Well, I'd like to say it's something quite romantic, but it's not. Um, when you're, Pragmatism. Yeah, absolutely. When you are new arrivals in a country, you just kind of try to make life easy. And um, for my parents with a young family, we were all under the age of 10, my sisters and I, there were four of us then. You know, for them, it was just, you know, Melbourne felt like a big place and it was hard to get around. And kind of coming to Adelaide, it was much more manageable um, and it was a way for them to kind of feel, I suppose, safer and to be able to kind of get around more easily and to, you know, not feel as overwhelmed, I suppose. Mm. And so when you're in that position as a migrant or a displaced person, you don't really have the capacity to really forecast too much into the future and that's not necessarily what's driving you. You're trying to look for a way to make life manageable and to make things work and make ends meet and that's what my parents were doing. Mm. And and that's very much, the uh, I think, a, a story that repeats itself with people that are displaced. You're just trying to deal with what sometimes feels like a crisis at the time, which is, you know, your whole world has just shifted massively and you have to make sense of all these new ways and these new things. And, you know, my parents did that as best as they could. They, they kind of started learning English as soon as they could. They already had some kind of knowledge of, the, of English because they spoke it um, back home. But, you know, it's a different thing to be living in an English 
English-speaking country, and you know, and then transportation, you know, making their way around. So it was really just a decision around how do you make things work when you're new, you don't really have a good grasp of the language, you've got young kids, and you need to get them to school every day. So that's why we moved to Adelaide. Where was the point, or not a mm, point, but mm. what was the process by which you moved from that in mm-hmm. Adelaide? that led up to the the start of that first restaurant in in Torrensville. Absolutely. And I call it like a transfiguration. And I think that's what happened. Because what happened was, you know, I think we were always lucky as children that my mom and dad really cared about us going through school and going wherever we needed to, to kind of complete our studies and to have a good job and, and to kind of be aware and to be able to contribute to society. You know, that was really important for my mum and dad. And that wasn't necessarily something that just came with being in Australia. That is who they are. And that is actually who a lot of people are um, before kind of life takes a turn and you have to leave everything because of war, right? So so they were, you know, highly skilled themselves. And so they understood the importance of their children kind of going through um, and taking their education quite seriously and that kind of thing. But I think more importantly than that, it was an attitude. So um, my mother, there was just something about her her being, I think, and it is one that was always calm, um, even in the face of not having much. You know, we didn't grow up with much and who also always created, created that sense of home, even though we weren't necessarily in what she and her, her foremothers and forefathers before her knew to be home. So really it was a sense of safety and a sense of hope um, that my parents built um, for us and with all the challenges, <laughs> you know, that come with being in a new place. Um, and I think that that's what endured. And I think that as we grew up, my sisters and I, we family was really important because we had gone through a lot together and we evolved together and we brought one another along, you know. And um, so then it was a transfiguration when we could kind of contribute back and we were all older. We did it in a way that we were all a part of something together. <laughs> and so I suppose it wasn't a point more than it was a, an, an essence and an attitude and a belief in hope and and kind of a belief in staying true and not forgetting who you are, no matter where in the world you are, and acting on that and and doing it with one another um, and bringing one another along. And I think that kind of underpins why we opened the restaurant. Belief in hope, building the future together and understanding the past. Uh, Could you perhaps tell us how your journey back to Afghanistan contributed? It was a really important thing for us to have done, for my sisters and I, especially in hindsight, because I felt all these things I wasn't expecting to feel. I felt a sense of connection I didn't know I had. I felt a sense of sadness I didn't know I would. I felt a sense of overwhelming kind of questioning because there were lots of things, I suppose, about Afghanistan that even I had believed, um, ashamed to admit. And that's the power of messaging. Um, that's the power of narratives. That's power of media. So I went to Afghanistan and I was expecting it to be quite desolate and dry. 
and what I saw was a warmth, a warmth of the people who lived there, um, who had very little, but who, as guests, for as us travelling through as guests in their home, you know, wherever we'd stop with relatives or family or, um, um, you know, just people who lived there, they they would offer you everything they had and it was really humbling to be to see that to see how the kind of expression of humanity exists even in a place where humanity has been taken away or tried to be taken away through conflict and war and violence so it was really i suppose a pivotal and defining moment for my story because it made me realize how much i need to understand that part of my life so much more. Um, it was a beautiful green landscape. It was lush. There were parts of it that were just like a dream. You know, you had the Hindu Kush mountains in the background and there were rolling green valleys in the foreground and, you know, fields of like grass and flowers and just little kids everywhere, you know. And I saw that people live and the human spirit endures even in times of crisis and conflict. And um, it was really, that was my take-home message that I had to connect more deeply with my own human spirit and kind of tie that into um, my own ancestry and my own story where I'd come from even more, just so that I could contribute more fully and meet my own potential more fully um, in, in the place that I now live. At this point, can I ask, how has being in Adelaide contributed? I think first and foremost, it's about being in a place of peace and a place where, you know, there are no... Um, there are no kind of physical obstacles to you learning and to you expressing who you are and to expressing an opinion and that kind of thing, you know. So... It's about being in a place where um, we could kind of, we had the capacity to to learn, go to school, that kind of thing, and grow in peace and in safety. Um, but then really, I think it comes back again to uh, knowing who you are, who you are before that story of migration, knowing who, what your country was and what that part of the world was before the kind of histories of colonialism and violence and war and to kind of have the place to express that. And for us, Adelaide, through fate and chance, happened to be the place. So, yeah, Adelaide is special and meaningful for that. You know, chance and fate brought us here, and we have tried our best to make the most of it, and we always will. What advice, advice, learnt wisdom, mm. call it what you like, <laughs> Um, if someone's listening, especially young migrants yeah. who might be listening and they're perhaps struggling and thinking, I've come here under these circumstances either of my choosing or totally not of yes. my choosing, yeah. I am here in Adelaide. Yes, yes. What can I do? What should I be doing? What should I be thinking? Mm. Well, I suppose I can only answer that question based on how I've chosen to kind of make my way through the challenges. And I think I would start by acknowledging that it is really challenging. And especially as a young person, it is really tough to kind of feel as though you constantly have to figure out who you are and to either defend it or or explain it. 
And so I just want to acknowledge by uh, start by acknowledging that. And I think that's true for many young people, regardless of whether they're migrants or not. But I think from my perspective, and again, this is probably relevant to, to, to everyone, I hope, it was so important not to forget, not to forget who I am. And I feel as though I made a direct effort to remember. And I think that was and is a really big part of being able to live to your full potential. And remembering means that you acknowledge and you look in the eye of everything, um, good and bad, of your own kind of background and your own history and culture. And you don't feel ashamed of things that uh, kind of, you know, because the truth is that today, especially for young people, being visibly different is really tough, um, especially for migrants and refugees from, you know, who might have Muslim backgrounds or uh, have brown or black skin. And and that's just the truth. The truth is that life today is harder, harder and more challenging for, for people who are visibly different. And what I would say is that things come in waves and despite the, the immediacy of how kind of um, terrible those things can make you feel or the vilification in the media around or the scapegoating um, of people who are migrants and refugees or the Islamophobia and racism that exists, I would say that now more than ever is a time to remember who you are and to be unapologetic for it, to um, wade through the parts of culture that don't serve you because it's true that there are parts of every culture that um, suppress what it is to be human. So to find, to dig deeper, to dig past those layers and to find um, what it is to be you and, and find ways to authentically and legitimately express that with a sense of of kind of, uh, of, with a sense of love and hope in doing that. And final thoughts. Well, I was just thinking about my own kind of cultural context and how I came from a culture that is quite Eastern and I, we landed in the West, right? And and sometimes those cultures don't mix together very well and there are kind of stigmas attached to both cultures about what you choose to do and how you choose to behave and what traits you take on and especially for women, right? And um, I think that's true of all cultures. And so for me, one thing I learned that has served me is that Defining who you are in those circumstances is an act of courage. And I feel one thing I've learned is that you have to be courageous. Otherwise, you'll just be stuck. And you'll also, you'll be stuck in the things that other people expect for you. You'll be stuck in a way that you are kind of blocked from a deeper ability to express yourself as a person. And so really defragging and decoding and kind of shedding the parts of culture that no longer serve you and that you don't need to hold on to um, was a really important part of, of my trajectory to kind of honouring who I am and who I'd like to be and who you definitely are and will continue to grow into being. So thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Adelaide Living Podcast, which is brought to you by the City of Adelaide. Discover more stories about people, places and projects having a meaningful impact on our city by subscribing to this podcast or visiting the Adelaide Living website at living.cityofadelaide.com.au.